It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Here's your host. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're celebrating Schlocktober with Tom Sumner. In a boat on a river With tangerine trees and marmalade skies Somebody calls you, you answer quite slowly A girl with kaleidoscope eyes Cellophane flowers of yellow and green Towering over your head Look for the girl with the sun in her eyes, and she's gone! Rocking horse people eat marshmallow pies. Everyone smiles as you drift past the flowers that grow so incredibly high. Newspaper taxis appear on the shore, waiting to take you away. Climb in the back with your head in the clouds, and you're gone!
Picture yourself on a train in a station with plasticine porters, with looking glass ties. Suddenly, someone is there at the turnstile. A girl with kaleidoscope eyes. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, it's Wednesday, which means Armchair Politics is coming up in uh, just under an hour or so, two hours of commentary and analysis on local, state, and national news and and, uh, current events. Plus, of course, the uh, the quotes and the uh, coveted X Files, and we have uh, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton is joining the roundtable regulars today. Um, of course, the roundtable regulars uh, are Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left, and uh, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right. And uh, again, they'll be joined by Bobby Clayton Walton. That's all coming up in the second and third hours of today's three-hour tour. But this hour, we're going to talk with uh, an essayist, journalist, author of uh, a new book. It's called um, Brainstorming Ohio to Understand America by David Giffels. And David will be my guest coming up in just about, well, just under three minutes or so we'll We'll start our our chat, but that gives me a little time to uh, reminisce a little about Schlocktober. I uh, promised a lot of new stuff for Schlocktober 2020, and we've had a lot of new stuff, but I did have someone <laughs> sent me a little uh, note or a comment on one of my posts about Schlocktober, um, saying, let me know when you're going to do, when you're going to have William Shatner doing Lucy in the Sky. Um and uh, so I, I really kind of took that as a request. Plus, where would Schlocktober be if it wasn't for William Shatner? Um, and uh, for those of you tuning in who've never heard the show before or never heard, uh, don't know what Schlocktober is, while everyone else in the month of October is uh, celebrating Shocktober and Rocktober, uh, we celebrate Schlocktober where we play a different odd or horrible recording each and every day in the month of October. We've been doing it for a long time, but this year, 2020 is special. It's it's going to be remembered as just kind of a, a special year. And so I thought, well, for 2020, we'll get, we'll get some new stuff in. We had Granny Clampett singing the blues and... Uh, um, we had a new one. We had well, we had a couple of new ones from William Shatner. I will survive in Bohemian Rhapsody, if you can believe that. I have a feeling Bohemian Rhapsody is going to come up again. 
Um, also, uh, a new one from uh, Leonard Nimoy. Um, we just had a couple that we've used over the last few years, but uh, we found new ones from William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy. So, Star Trek is well represented in Schlocktober. Um, and if you know of any odd or horrible recordings and you want to send me a note, I'd be glad to, uh, I'd be glad to add them to the library of truly awful offerings. All kind of inspired by, uh, Jonathan and Darlene Edwards, uh, torch singer Joe Stafford and her husband used to, uh, do these really horrible versions of songs at parties and they started making records and that that sort of got tuned my ear to uh what would become schlocktober but i think william shatner helped put it over the top anyway uh david griffel griffiths is up next <laughs> Hey, welcome back, everybody. My guest this hour is the author of uh, a new book called Barnstorming Ohio to Understand America. He's an award-winning author and essayist who has been dubbed the Bard of Akron by the New York Times. His name is David Giffels, and he joins me now by phone. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tom. David, uh, apparently this book is uh, the culmination of of you spending about a year on the road throughout Ohio. What would prompt prompt somebody to spend a year on the road in Ohio if they weren't running for something? Um, well, <laughs> well, first of all, that's that's something somebody from Michigan might ask. But uh, well, but no, let's let, let's let's not go there, David. Question. Yeah. I have many friends in Michigan. So, um, Ohio ha- has a unique um, record of accurately choosing the president um, going back a century. It's um, in, in 29 of the last 31 elections, Ohio has selected the winner in every presidential race, which is more than any other state. And I, as a lifelong resident of Ohio, I've long known that and long understood that there is there's a quantifiable reason for that. Ohio is distinctly um, divided into five regions, which each represents uniquely a different set of um, demographics uh, that, that represent the larger national picture. So it's it's uniquely diverse. Well, and, and that I diversity, also, what what does that look like? The the five pieces, and I, I don't mean to cut you off, David, sure. and. You know, feel free to finish what you were saying, but but I, I really want to um, unpack that uh, five regions a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And this is often, you know, political scientists and journalists often rely on this model. So there's Northeast Ohio, where I live, um, which is much more like Flint. It's uh, industrial, post-industrial, feels more Eastern um, than Midwestern in many ways. Um, uh urban and more culturally diverse as well there's there's northwest ohio and um, and, and is, in northeast ohio um name a couple of cities so we get some sense of sure sure cleveland is is sort of the the capital of northeast ohio gotcha um akron and youngstown um you know traditional blue collar industrial cities 
Um, and then we move into Northwest Ohio, which is more rural, more dominated by farmland, um, n- no big cities. Um, none of the major cities are there, and it feels much more like the the true American Midwest. It's it's even flatter and and greener, and you know a, a different terrain even. Uh, then there's Southwest Ohio, which is dominated by Cincinnati, and feels much more like the beginning of the South, and uh, tends to be more conservative. Um, a lot of uh, wealthy suburbs. So a lot of people um, think Cincinnati's in Kentucky, David. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, I jokingly refer in the book to, to. I always think of Cincinnati as the capital of Kentucky, and and a Cincinnatian wrote me a note saying, um, "I enjoyed your book, except for when you said it called because we're you know it's 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 a truth throughout this book. We're very self conscious in this part of the country because we don't." often get paid attention to and so when we do you know when somebody from outside relies on a stereotype or an old punchline we we react to it because we're and i'm sure it's true in flint and the cities of michigan as it, as it is in ohio so i understood his response and it, it you know, put me on my guard but yeah so yeah cincinnati is um kind of distant also from the other big cities in ohio um so then there's the southeastern region which is uh, the, the Appalachian region, uh, poorer, less populated, um, again, a different terrain, more um, hilly, uh, more like West Virginia. Um, and then finally, there's the center of Ohio, dominated by Columbus, which uh, is a very different city from the other big cities in Ohio. It doesn't have an industrial past. It is dominated by Ohio State um, and government, and those are, and so its personality is very different. Um, it has a lot of wealthy suburbs in a ring around it. It's the only growing city in Ohio. It's kind of and the so quintessential. It it's kind of the quintessential college town, isn't it? It's the quintessential college town on steroids. <laughs> it's the third largest campus in the country. But yeah, I mean, you go to yes, you go to Columbus, and you just you know, if you don't feel a, a, a sudden urge to shout out OH and expect everybody on the street to respond IO, um, <laughs> then you, you don't know where you are. So, and yeah, and and they won't. Yes, they they won't use the letter M um, in in Michigan and for, during certain times of the year. But you know, that's it, you know. But again, those you know, one reason I think those those college rivalries in the Midwest are so powerful goes back to that sense of. Um, there's a there's a sense of pride that's not simple. It's it's pride in places that other people don't recognize or don't appreciate, and so we're protective of our hometowns in different ways. Like I, I don't think like New Yorkers or San Franciscans are defensive about their hometowns. They love them, but they I don't think they feel defensive because they don't have to because they have a prevailing personality that that people can understand. We don't have a sort of glamour. Um, you know, that projects. We have to tell our own story. And that was really the spirit behind that, this whole journey. More with essayist and author David Giffels straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional. You thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, hear Elvis from Graceland in the Sky, soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, early gate rock, all dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up. Yes, the king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in checker money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian residence, add $3. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftlink.technology. Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with essayist and author David Giffels straight ahead. How does that play out in in presidential politics, David? Um, How does Ohio speak as a single voice, if they even do? Yeah, first of all, yeah, it's it's a tricky line because Ohio is valuable during a presidential election season because of the number of electoral votes we have. And so we're very aware here that three years out of every four, we're flyover country. We're basically ignored or misunderstood. And then that fourth year, you know, as I read in the book, we're poked and prodded like we're at the, a, a cow at the state fair. Like everybody wants to understand us, take our measure, see what our value is. You know, a month ago, people didn't really care very much about Ohio because it looked like Trump had the state wrapped up. We're suddenly in play. It's it's a dead heat today. <clears throat> and suddenly everybody wants to kind of decode us, unlock us. And so there's there's a kind of a frustration because they want a simple answer. And, and Ohio doesn't offer a simple answer. It offers a really interesting, complex answer. Partly because of those five regions, you can't just say the voters in Ohio will go this way. Those five regions vote in very different patterns and and long-trending patterns, but none of them, they don't all match up. But the other thing I wanted to do, my strongest intent was, as I traveled, was to let people speak for themselves, to make sure they understood in advance that I'm not talking to you because you represent a type because you're you're some sort of like a stereotypical version of this part of Ohio or this part of the electorate. I wanted people to recognize that we need to have voices as individuals and yet still try to, you know, over the course of 300 pages, represent um, a full picture of what, not just Ohio, but I think really any of the overlooked places that do have value, um, what they represent, the story that they can tell. And and you were talking about, of course, uh, for all the rivalry between Michigan and Ohio, there are a lot of things that we have in common. And one of them um, is the idea that you talk about in the book with dead shopping malls. And, yes. and even to the point where... Amazon is buying up blighted properties to turn them into fulfillment centers. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, explain and, that a, a little bit because we're we're not seeing that in Michigan. Is it because Ohio is more centrally located in this this region? Yeah, I would look at it a little bit more broadly across the Great Lakes region because there is a larger concentration of that phenomenon here. Um, in this region um, than in other places. But what's been happening is uh, the phenomenon of the dead shopping mall, first of all, has all, has fascinated me for a generation. I mean, we, as somebody who grew up in the 70s and experienced the sort of that wave of suburban shopping malls as part of my, you know, sort of social life and, and you know, just the landscape, uh, to see this slow grind downward of, a big institution like that um, has, you know, just been fascinating. Also, like curious, like how does this happen, and why don't they just close it? 
and they seem like these dinosaurs that are just like sort of like grinding toward their halt. Uh, and so the one in my hometown in Akron, Ohio, Rolling Acres Mall, has had been in decline since the 1990s, but just kept hanging on. And the anchor stores would just, you know, the middle would implode, but the anchor stores were still there until finally it was just this huge, empty symbol of failure. And so many of us were, you know, it's not just an economic question. It's really a question of um of civics, of, of who we are, uh, what has happened to a place that represented our economic um, power and represented a, a, a central gathering place and all of these things. And Amazon, which some people might see as part of the death of the, the shopping mall um, as a new kind of retail force, has discovered that, you know, these places are located near large urban centers, they are usually located along major transportation routes. Um, they're big, available land spaces or sometimes facilities already built. And they are perfect for Amazon's model of having all of these distribution centers where they can, you place an order and then they can have a big warehouse somewhere near you that they can get your product to you very quickly. So across... The mid across the country, they've been buying up these spaces and converting them into these warehouses. But because the Rust Belt and the Great Lakes region have also a lot of urban centers that have lost some of their economic power, they tend to have more of these dead malls. So these fulfillment centers have been popping up around Ohio and along the Great Lakes, Wisconsin, and so forth um, in the past few years. So I kind of track Rolling Acres, my mall, as a, a sort of model of how this has has been going on. You know, and I think there are some in Michigan. I looked at a map um, as I was doing my research of where these were going in, and I believe there were one or two in Michigan as well. Yeah, there's. Um, you know, I go back just maybe a few years before you, and I sort of. Um, saw the decline of of shopping malls very differently because. I remember when downtowns were still the main retail center and they started moving it it started moving out to malls closer to the suburbs and as as people moved out away from the inner city um these these malls took over so I had seen a big shift in retail before it happened yeah. again to malls so when malls started drying up, I was it, it was almost like, well, there's an, that's how long that idea lasted. Yeah, you know what's interesting to me too is is when the suburban malls began, this huge nostalgia for the downtown shopping mall or downtown shopping department store, you know, kind of took hold as kind of a generational nostalgia. So like when you know when Ralphie in a Christmas story is looking through the window at his Red Ryder BB gun. That like hits right to the heart of a Midwestern ideal, and then Amazon comes in, and these malls that were seen as destroying the downtown centers, you know, suddenly they have their own nostalgia, and people are resenting Amazon for destroying the the suburban shopping mall that you know has its own version of nostalgia, and so I just wonder, you know, the next generation, whatever it becomes, 
was going to say, oh, remember the days when we could shop online at Amazon and, you know, the little blue truck would show up. You know, like we, that we would just <laughs> to, The drone would the land in the driveway. Yeah. yeah. Those were the days. <laughs> that's <laughs> funny. Times. That's funny. Well, that's that's when we all have, uh, when we get to the point where we all have um, 3D printers in our den. Right. And, and we just yeah. we just order the plans online. <laughs> and, yeah. and develop the product I, I at our house. I, I think there's no element of, of of cultural acceleration that's off the books right now, just because of the way we've lived. You know, since for the last fifteen or twenty years. Well, and 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 let's talk about how we've lived the last nine months. Um, did you finish the book before the pandemic happened? You know. I had an end date. There was there was an event that I wanted to write about. There's a this small town in Ohio called Hinkley, and every year on March 15th, according to legend, the buzzards who have, that have migrated south return to Hinkley, and there's this sort of festival that takes place. And you know, the, the, I wanted to come and see the vultures come to roost. And that, <laughs> and that isn't and that isn't every four years, David. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, believe me, it was a heavy-handed attempt at symbolism. But uh, yeah, and and Ohio's primary was taking place two days later. Well, you know, I had made that plan months in advance with no idea that March fifteenth was going to be pretty much the day that that the flip the switch got flipped on the pandemic, and so Buzzard Day got canceled. I still went to to into the parks and watched for a buzzard, but. Um, yeah, so the book ends essentially at the very beginning of the pandemic, and what's and so it is in the book, and Ohio's response to it is is kind of represented in the book. Um, what's been interesting to me is that the nine months, the tumultuous nine months that have followed with the pandemic and and with racial uprising and you know. And it's just so many elements of American life upended and amplified. It kind of has it has reinforced a lot of the themes in the book um, in ways that kind of makes me think that um, the truths about Ohio that I believed are true. Uh, one as, just one example of that is Ohio. You know. I, making the case that Ohio is a bellwether in ways that go far beyond politics, that it's, it's never the leader um, that everyone looks to, but Ohio tends to um, sort of infuse whatever is happening in America in a way that we can look to Ohio and see a lesson there. And so, for instance, and I think I'm using Ohio, but Flint will totally relate to this. When, when there was massive job loss, as the pandemic began, I'm th- I'm thinking, well, why don't you look to Ohio? Why don't you look to Youngstown, which I write about extensively, the closing of the Lordstown GM plant in Youngstown. Yeah. You want to know how to deal with massive job loss? Look at Flint. Look at Youngstown. Look at Akron, places that have been dealing with massive job loss for two generations. Um, you know, we have something to teach. And what we have something to teach from is our hard times. What do we do in our personal lives when we're hurting? We turn to somebody who's experienced that same loss, and we look to them for guidance. Um, the pandemic happens, 
And in, in early weeks and even months of the pandemic, Ohio was being looked at as a leader in decision-making and relying on science and the kinds of things where other places were foundering. And the governor here, Mike DeWine, was was working closely in tandem with his public health director, Amy Acton. And they were just moving really well through this really, like, unknown territory. Well, it wasn't unknown territory here because... Ohio had been already dealing for several years with a public health crisis, the opioid epidemic. And so we had this model of how to listen to science, how to work across social service agencies without borders between them, how how to adapt to a public health crisis in a way that other people could look, you know, now we've got the biggest public health crisis in a century, you know, look to the place that's already suffering one, and see how they're, you know, extrapolating that model. And it goes on and on, you know, in ways that, you know, we don't think of our hard times as being a benefit, but they they can be. They can, cer- they can certainly be um, pivotal moments in people's lives and, and what you do with it, as so many people have learned at, you know, GM plants in Lordstown and Detroit, Flint, um, you know, you, you mentioned the Rust Belt, and, and it flashed through my, my mind for a minute trying to figure out which state can can take the uh, mantle of being the um, belt buckle on, on the Rust Belt. Is it Ohio or Pennsylvania? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, like, who thought that, like, Detroit and Cleveland and Pittsburgh would be battling for, like, to be the Paris of hard times, right? Yeah, right. Like, yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. Really, I mean, really, one of the things, I wrote another book called The Hard Way on Purpose, and the subtitle is Essays and Dispatches from the Rust Belt. And it's it's a book of essays about sort of coming of age as the first generation to be, like, to only have known the, the hard times, the decline, and not have grown up during the industrial heyday. And one of the things that I have wrote about there, but I've, continued to think about and to enjoy talking about is that for a long time the term rust belt was just a mantle of shame it was something that we were embarrassed about it was something that that was just just a tragedy and rightly so um and but now we we many of us wear it as kind of a mantle of pride it's like we you know like I think legitimately, like if you put if you put Cleveland and Pittsburgh and Detroit together and said, you know, who wants to be the buckle of the Rust Belt? Who wants to be known as that? I think each of them would kind of want to lay claim to it, you know, because I go back to what I said before. There's something about living through hard times that it becomes a kind of pride that is deeper and more organic and and more earned than a kind of pride that, like, Phoenix has. And then nothing against Phoenix, but Phoenix's pride is based on its warm temperatures and its leisurely activities. And, you know, you know, Phoenix's sports team is named the Suns, and Cleveland's sports team is named the Browns. You know, there's, like, <laughs> you know, a very different kind of pride. But we're very, you know, we're proud of our Cleveland Browns because they've been terrible for so long. Like, you learn how to adapt 
to your darkness, you know, and in some ways, you know, we wear our scars, you know, better than we wear our medals. Yeah, I know. uh, Michiganders uh, certainly uh, can appreciate this, and and I'm sure Ohioans can as well, um, that, that what they've been through economically over the last generation um, is really akin to that old adage, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, exactly. And, and there's, there's a sense, you know, in this, in this region of, um, oh, yeah, I remember this, the, the Ford Tough slogan and ads and stuff. Exactly. It, it, yeah. it, it kind of speaks to that same thing. You know, we're down, but we're still here. And um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing to talk about. But here's something interesting. Um, you know, you you talk about Ohio as uh, being as having a near perfect record for choosing the presidential victor and uh, a perfect record since 1964. Um, right. What is um, it's it's kind of interesting because you talked to people from all over the state, and you were talking about, you know, Trump wasn't a lock. And for most of us that are watching the news in recent days and weeks, it seems like Trump's popularity is slipping because of the pandemic, but yet your interviews were ahead of that. Right. What were you hearing from Ohioans? Were they, you know, basically still echoing 2016, or had a shift already occurred? Yeah, there were a couple of specific shifts that I that I picked up on. And again, I I I always careful not to take one individual and try to turn them into like a poll number because I want those people's stories to stand on their own. But I spent so much time in Lordstown, and Lordstown is the quintessential um, model of that uh, blue-collar union Democrat who voted twice for Obama and then voted for Trump. And it happened across that region. And Lordstown um, was very much at the forefront of President Trump's promises to bring jobs back. Exactly. I mean, by name. By by name, not just by expectation, but he actually went there and said, "You know, this is all going to be great again." Yeah, he he said a quote that people know verbatim in that region. He said, "You know, the jobs are coming back. Don't sell your houses." That was his quote. People, <laughs> because you know this again as Michiganders yeah. and Ohioans, when somebody makes a promise like that in a place that's been burned for two generations. Those words stick in your ear. They stay there because that's a promise that we need. And so when he said that, and then the Lordstown plant closed, and he was perceived as not doing what he promised to do to help, um, that's a kind of burned that does not go away easily. And so to a one, the people I talked to in the Mahoning Valley, the region around Youngstown, um, who said they had voted for Trump in 2016, said they would not vote for him again in 2020. Um, 
So that's one example of a trend that I perceived um, that that seems to be part of what's happening right now as this race has tightened. Another part of the story that I told was the, the plight of the American farmer in 2019, which was battling weather, battling nature, as is always the struggle for the farmer. It was a historic rainy year in 2018 and 2019. So they were really struggling through difficult um, conditions in their in their farmlands. But also the uh, trade war with China was going on, Trump's personal trade war with China, which was really killing, especially soybean farmers. And, you know, farmers, although they trend uh, conservative and they tend to vote Republican, they're very independent. They're very um, independent in every aspect of their lifestyle. And so the farmers I talked to didn't want to say that they would support Trump again. They said he's going to have to prove it. And so, you know, I don't know. I, I haven't followed the poll numbers for for that demographic in, you know, in this year. But um, but I know from the people I talked to that they were not, you know, their vote would not be simple. And so I think some of those factors are playing. But I think really more broadly, once again, like Ohio is such a reliable measure of of where an election is headed that I wasn't surprised when the race drew close here as it was trending close nationally because we always kind of trend along that line. So a lot of people wrote Ohio off in August as as Trump's numbers rose here. Um, and now, I, you know, suddenly Biden is spending a whole lot of money on advertising in Ohio just, you know, just in the past week. And... I'm noticing, you know, just on the street level that the signs, you know, the yard signs look different than they did in 2016. In in my part of Ohio, I'm seeing fewer Trump and more Biden signs, whereas in 2016, I observed fewer Clinton signs um, at this you know, point in the season. I, I, That's my this unscientific poll. More with essayist and author David Giffels.
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling author photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe and save lives. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a man. 
magical place with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hey this is first ward city councilman eric mays and you're listening to the tom sumner program more with essayist and author David Giffels straight ahead. Something I want to ask you very quickly about 2016. Um, mm-hmm. John Kasich, I, I was surprised that he didn't do a little better, even in spite of the uh, the Trump phenomenon in 2016. But how was he able to hold on so long? Um he's he, uh he's a moderate and moderate for for the reasons i've been talking about because ohio sort of covers a wide spectrum of types of people and of types of of cultures um i think a moderate is a great fit for the state and ohio tends to lean a little bit more conservative and a little bit more republican in, in general, in aggregate. And so a Republican moderate is, is a good fit. Um, you know, Mike DeWine is a Republican moderate. And um, and they both, I think Kasich especially, like early, maybe not so much, but as he evolved as a governor, um, became very collaborative and very bipartisan in his collaboration. So Kasich was the leader in fighting the opioid crisis and really did a great job of bringing together um, factions of government and um, cities in in ways that they, they, they put, it was like all hands on deck against the opioid crisis. And DeWine, um, there was a mass shooting in Dayton in August of 2019, and Mike DeWine, in the aftermath, put together a plan to a multi-pronged plan to try to address it um, in a very, again, like bipartisan, reaching across the board kind of way. So both of them, I think, have thrived here because of their relative nonpartisanship. David, um, we're going to run out of time here in a couple of minutes, and there's there's two things I, I really want to make sure that we cover. One is... The book is uh, Brainstorming, Barnstorming Ohio (laughs) to Understand America. And the question is, well, and then I want to make sure that we give listeners a chance to find out where they can find out more about you, not only this book, but um, your your earlier writings and and really get to know you past, present, and future. Um, So if you have a website, please share it. But the question is... Who benefits from this book, or who, who? What do you think people will get out of it, other than uh, presidential campaigns and Ohioans? Sure. Um, what I hope and what I think people will get out of it is that this book is about Ohio, but it is about Ohio as an example of any place that feels overlooked or misunderstood. It's about anybody who wonders, you know, sort of who will listen to me, which really is most of the country. Um, and, and so while this book, like, uses Ohio as a model of this is what it feels like to live 
in a place that doesn't get to tell its own story well. Um, I think if you're in Flint or if you're in Des Moines or if you're in Milwaukee or in many of the places in the middle of the country, it represents that feeling and that spirit of let us tell our own story. This is who we truly are, and this is really what it feels like to be an American. David, we've got to end it here, but I want to make sure. Do you have a website? Sure. It's davidgiffels.com, G-I-F-F-E-L-S. Um, and there's lots about the book and lots about my other books uh, and uh, links to order. The book is available wherever wherever fine books are sold, Tom. <laughs> it's available at any, any online or, or brick-and-mortar bookseller. You took the words right out of my mouth, David. Um, David, thanks so much for spending this time with me, and uh, best of luck with the book and all of your fine writing. Well, thanks. I really enjoyed this conversation. All right. Take care. You too. That was uh, David uh, Giffels. Um, He is the author of six books of nonfiction, and um, he uh, is a former columnist for the Akron Beacon Journal. His writing has appeared in the New York Times Magazine, the Atlantic Parade, the Iowa Review, Esquire, and many other publications. He is a professor of English at the University of Akron, where he teaches in the Northeast Ohio Master of Fine Arts Creative Writing Program. The book is called Barnstorming Ohio to Understand America. And we're going to Take a short break. We'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner program straight up. Get your kicks on Route 66. 
looks mighty pretty You'll see Amarillo Gallup, New Mexico Flagstaff, Arizona Don't forget Winona Kingston, Boston San Bernardino Won't you get hit to this timely When you make that California trip show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. 